All right, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 uh, through 21. Uh, we, have, uh, we have gone through a, a series of, of things so far in this book. Uh, Peter is uh, um, not one that uses, uh, I think, a whole lot of words. He, he, he piles a lot into short spaces. And uh, uh, he, is, he has gone through our salvation, uh, the glory of that salvation. He has gone through, he's gone through, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he's, he's gone through uh, 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 how that salvation came to us through the prophets, through the apostles, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he has gone through, and then he moved from there into a, Series of imperatives, which he's going to he's going to sprinkle imperatives throughout the rest of the book. Uh, but this morning he moves back to a doctrinal infra- emphasis in these four verses. This is primarily doctrinal, and it's primarily around the doctrine of redemption. That's probably the main theme that runs through these verses: redemption, and and uh, um, and then eventually uh, the revelation of that redemption. Uh, but it all it all focuses around redemption. So that's that's probably what that's the primary thing we'll be talking about this morning as as we go uh, as we go through the this portion of the this portion of the text um, he uh, he's very very uh, very clear here on how redemption came he's going to talk about its cost that's the first thing he's going to talk about what it what it didn't cost and what it did cost they're going to be the the first thing that he's going to deal with in verses in ni- uh, 18 and 19 and then he's going to talk about how the plan was revealed in verses uh, 20 through 21 uh, so those are uh, those are uh, those are the, the that's the subject matter of today uh, but that's why I named the the passage redemption because that's what these four verses Verses are about. It's about our redemption. So, at any rate, uh, before we uh, get into that, are there any prayer requests this morning? Okay, so we're going to look first of all then at uh, knowing the cost in verses 18 and 19. Uh, and Peter writes, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your feudal conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished, unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. So he, the first thing he says is he moves off. He moves off and he says to them, you already know this. This is something you know. This, these are known facts. If you're a believer, you should know this. That's really the idea here. Uh, and he's going to say in verse 18, what didn't redeem you? And then in verse 19, what the actual cost of your redemption was. The sense that, that Peter is trying to give here is, is follows from, from verse 17 where he says to conduct yourselves with the fear of God's discipline, uh, knowing the cost of your redemption. That's that's the sense uh, that he's that he's bringing to this in text to this text, and he's and he's saying that understanding that that redemption from your sinful lives was the blood of Christ. Uh, ultimately, that's where where he is going with this. He's implying that God is not going to be pleased if we disregard the ethical purposes of his great redemption. That's that's what he's wanting us to understand. That this is uh, coming off of coming off of the fear of God then is knowing what it took to save you. Well, knowing what it took to redeem you. And, and he is saying to them, you know what that cost was. You already know that. If you're saved, you should know that. You should know what it was that saved you. And, and of course, that's what he's saying here. He, he's saying, you know this. Uh, 
And so he goes on and he says, he, he, he uses the word redeemed. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed. And then he's going to say what you weren't redeemed with. And so this word redeemed or redemption or ransomed, any of those are appropriate translations of the word lutro. And, and it, uh, it, 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 has a, it has the meaning of to purchase or release by payment of a ransom or to deliver by payment of a price. Uh, you know, in, in our world today, we use this word in a, in a whole bunch of different ways. We, we, we might use it to uh, primarily directed toward self that uh, we have redeemed something. Uh, we have we have we have redeemed ourselves in the sense that we did something wrong and we made an appropriate apology and we have therefore redeemed ourselves. We we kind of use the word that way. If you're my age, you remember going to little stores with these silly little green or blue stamps and you redeemed things. They were called redemption stores, you know, and you, re, you redeem things from there. It's sometimes used to speak of paying off a debt. Uh, you've redeemed that loan. It's been paid off. Uh, to the Greeks, it was a very technical term. To the to the classical Greeks, it was a very, a very, uh, a very technical term, and it and it basically was used for prisoner exchange. It was the price of money a country paid another country to get their prisoners back. That's that's how the word was used. That was the the Greeks' understanding of this word. In biblical terms. It, retur- it refers to the cost of salvation. Uh, that's where it's going here. It's primarily o- illustrated, well, not primarily, it is illustrated in the Old Testament sacrifice system. And, and the primary sacrifice that it focuses on is, of course, the Passover, Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13. In, in that passage, it, it, uh, the, the Hebrews were we're told that they that they require that a lamb was required to spare the life of Israel's firstborn. If you remember the story, uh, Moses has gone time and time again to Pharaoh, asking to let my people go. Pharaoh refuses and refuses and refuses, and ultimately uh, God is ready now to redeem Israel, and He sets sets the sets the. Uh, Punishment that will befall befall Egypt uh, by telling him he's going to kill the firstborn of all the land of Egypt. It even included animals. It was it was it was a massive uh, a massive thing that God was about to do. But He told His people Israel, in order to redeem them, they would need to take a lamb for every family up to the number of 10 and they were to bring it into their household, make it a part of their household and then they were to sacrifice it and it, it had very specific details about this lamb and how it was to be cared for and how it was to be prepared uh, but they were to they were then to slaughter it, they were to kill it and they were to take the blood and put it over the doorpost and the, and the header of their door to, uh, and then when the, uh, the death angel came he would pass over the uh, the firstborn of Israel, and that's the that's the the picture of what he's going to say here. This is this is the precursor picture of what Christ would do at Calvary, is he would cover us so that we might be redeemed. That's the idea that we would be passed over from judgment ultimately. Exodus chapter twelve verses twelve through thirteen, uh, Moses wrote there. He says. 
And I will go through, God speaking, says, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are, and I will see the blood, and I will pass over you, and there will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And that's the, that's the uh, setting, if you will, for our redemption. It typifies the sacrificial death of an, in, of an innocent substitute. This is why we, we say that Jesus death was a a substitutional sacrifice. He took my place and yours. Uh, He was a substitute and it was a sacrifice. It was an official sacrifice. Uh, It it required death and it required death by bloodletting is is the idea here that that he's he's telling us. Uh, The Passover is not the only place where this principle was established. We find it in many of the the sacrifices, not all, but many of the sacrifices of of Israel. Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 2 um, is uh, is, is another place where we see this thing. And it pointed to the true lamb who would redeem us with his blood. In fact, in a little while, we'll be celebrating the communion table and and pastor will read from 1 Corinthians 11, 25 through 26 when he takes the cup and Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. That's that's the issue. The new covenant was always in focus in the whole sacrificial system. It was pointing to that moment. That's what it was pointing to. Uh, that it would have be inaugurated through Jesus, Jesus' blood. And then 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8 uh, tells us that the Passover symbolizes substitutionary uh, redemption. It reads, for Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. Uh, that's what Paul wrote there. He's telling us that, that Christ, in effect, is this Passover. He is the Passover lamb uh, for us. That's, that's the idea there. And, and he goes on to say, and that he was sacrificed on our behalf. And those simple words, that, all of that is implied. It's all packed into that, into that idea. And then he's going to tell us what the cost was not. That's the first thing he's going to say. He's going to take the negative side of things. Here's what the cost wasn't. It wasn't like the Greeks paying a, paying a prisoner ransom. It wasn't, it wasn't from things created. It wasn't from gold or silver. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, or, or any of the other more durable metals. It wasn't, it wasn't from those things. It wasn't from the things that man held of, of value. At one time, most of the world's monetary systems were, were on either a gold, gold and silver standards. They were the basis uh, for, for the monetary systems. Uh, some of you may have a silver dollar at home. Uh, at one time, money had silver in it. It really did. Uh, you know, at one time, dollar bills said silver, silver certificates. And if you go back even farther, they were backed by gold until about World War II, and FDR did away with that standard. Uh, but, uh, but that's the way things handled. And he says, it's not with those things. It's not with those things. Uh, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't save you with corruptible, temporary, created things like silver or gold. 
He, did, he didn't use those things. Those are not the things he, he used. Uh, these, these, uh, these, these represented, uh, like I said, the monetary system, but they were not sufficient to save you. You know, if you just stop and think about that for a minute, why would God want you to give him something he created in order to buy your salvation? He owned it already. You know? Why? 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 It makes no sense. You can't, you can't redeem yourself in those manners. It's the idea. Isaiah 53.2 says, You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. That's, that's, that's the idea here. And basically... Uh, in, in verse 23 of chapter 1, he's going to, he will tell us, he says, For you have not been born again of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is through the living and enduring word of God. That's ultimately where it came from. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't from anything of this world. The point is, the point here that he's making is, the things of this world and this age were not sufficient. They could not save you. And it, it was not those kind of things. And he tells us in this same same short passage, he tells us also what we, what we have been redeemed from. He says, from your feudal contact inherited from your forefathers. Uh, he tells us there. In other words, from the patterns of life that have always gone on, you've been saved from that, from the human patterns of life. Uh, uh, the word from in this, in this passage could be translated and might rightly be translated out of. In other words, you were taken out of that. That's what he took you out of. He took you out of those, those things inherited from your forefathers. He, it pictures, it pictures a, it, it's, the word is used to picture a physical removal. Like you were picked up and put somewhere else. That's that's the idea here, and 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 the word ways is an, is a word that that uh, typifies a pattern of life. So you were removed from the pattern of from your from your pattern of life. You've been removed from that and placed placed somewhere else. And futile is a word that simply means empty, worthless, no meaning, uh, and uh, or lasting results. In other words, it's futile. It's a waste of time. It's, it's simply, it's simply a waste of time. He says it's it's empty, it's worthless, and it has no meaning. Okay. Yeah. Let's just take a moment, shall we? Uh, Lord God, uh, we just ask you to watch over Ava. We don't know uh, what what her current problem is, but we know she's had a number of health issues. Uh, we just ask you to watch over her, protect her. Thank you for those who, who arose to help her. Uh, give her grace, and uh, may she be well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, now, where was I? Oh, futile. Futile. Empty, worthless, no meaning, uh, no lasting results. And he says, it was inherited from your forefathers. It's just been going on since Adam. That's, that's the idea here. And it applies to both Jew and to Gentile. He's not writing to anyone. It, uh, it may well be... Uh, uh, it may well be uh, 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 the traditions of Judaism, all the nonsense that the the teachers of Judaism, the Pharisees, and and so on, um, tried to impose upon people the work system that they turned the Judaistic system into. It, it may have been those. It could be. It could also be the Gentiles who spent their life. Carving wood and bowing down and worshiping it, uh, idols, uh, those those kinds of things. It, it doesn't matter what what your background was; it's all the same. It came from your forefathers. It was sinful. It was futile, and God has removed you from that pattern of life. That's what He's telling us here. And then uh, Titus chapter three, verse uh, verse three. For we were uh, <coughs> excuse me. For we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's that's uh, ultimately where where the the idea goes here. It was not we were moved from those t- traditions that were I like that word there despicable. You know that's they, they were just despicable. He says we've been removed from that. We've been we have been we've been cleansed by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he is saying is that the uh, her, her, the inherited chain of sin was broken by Christ. That's, that's, that's the idea uh, that he's expressing in this text. And then he moves on to verse 19. Now that he's tell, told us what we weren't saved by, what couldn't save us, he's going to move, he's going to move to verse nine, uh, he's going to move to verse 19, and he's going to tell us what did save us. And he says, not, well, verse 18 tells us, not by gold and silver, and that verse 19 then says, but with precious blood. As of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He says, but he's going to make the contrast here. That's that's why that is there. He's, he's, he's putting in contrast to what couldn't pay the price of our redemption. It could be paid with the precious blood, the blood of Christ. <clears throat> he goes he goes on here and he says, and I just just as kind of a note here, note in eternity that you know, one of the things that couldn't save you was gold. You know, just read Revelation chapter 21, verse 21, and it'll tell you the importance of gold to God. It was building material. He paved the streets with it. You know, there you go. So uh, that's, that's the idea. So he says here, with precious blood, the blood of Christ. Precious is a word that means to be valuable. And it's more valuable uh, than gold or silver, meaning it's precious in God's sight, giving it an, an, uh, an immense inherent value. If God puts that value on it, uh, then it is 
beyond our ability to measure its its worth is really the idea that's being expressed in this. And he says it was the blood of Christ, the outward evidence that his lifeblood was poured out when he died, a sacrificial death as the price of redemption. That's that's what it's telling us here. Uh, He died a true and legitimate sacrifice proven by the fact of the blood. That's that's the idea. And he did that in our in our uh, our our on our behalf. In the normal sense of looking at this word, we we associate this word with in the saving sense of the removal of the judicial guilty guilt before God, which is what it did. It re, we're no longer guilty before God. It made reconciliation on our behalf. We are no longer. Uh, uh, it was propitiation. Uh, the anger of God was turned away by the blood of Christ. We were reconciled to God. No longer enemies, but now children. All of those things happened at that time, and that's really how we normally associate it. But if you go through Scripture, it's kind of interesting that there's a couple of other things that it talks about as related to the blood. In Hebrews 9.14, it tells us that it cleansed our conscience. It cleaned our conscience. In, uh, in, in Hebrews 10.19, it tells us that it gave us access to God. It opened the door that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That's, that's the idea there. And then in, in 1 John 1.9, it tells us that it has a progressive effect. And though, even though we still live in this body of sin and we do sin, we have a progressive forgiveness because of the blood of Christ. It forgives all sin is the idea there. And then in Revelation 12, 11, <clears throat> excuse me, it tells us that we are able to con- have, con- um, have conquest over the accuser of the brethren. Uh, that's that's that, those are those are other areas by which this talks to, uh, and here it tells us that we basically were rescued out of our sinful way of life. Verse nineteen is, is that's what it's saying here. But with precious blood, the blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, uh, the blood of Christ. That's how we were removed from the feudal conduct inherited from our forefathers. That's that's what he's telling us here. And note that the ransom payment Christ is our substitutionary sacrifice bore our penalty. Also, look in chapter 2, verse 24. He's going to tell us there, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Uh, there he, he not only bore our penalty, he bore our sin. He bore it, he bore it all. He bore, he bore our penalty. Not only did he pay the price, but he bore our penalty. And it says, he, it goes on to say that he was a lamb without spot or blemish. And this goes back to Exodus chapter 12 and, and in verse 5. In verse 5 of, of chapter 12, we are, we are told that your lamb shall be a male without blemish, a year old, and he is to be taken uh, from either the sheep or from the goats. And then it goes on to tell them about they're going to keep him for 14 days, or uh, um, they shall keep him till the 14th day of the month, and so on and so forth, and gives all the details that go on with that. But the idea here it was to be a perfect sacrifice. This is what it points to. It points to the fact that Jesus uh, was was the perfect sacrifice. That's the idea here uh, that is being expressed. And that that is also true in numerous other sacrifices in the Old Testament. Numbers 6, 
14 and 28.3 and verse 9 also plus others. Uh, the Christian understanding of the Lamb of God is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1.31, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming down, down the road, that's what he said. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. That's what it takes away the sins of the world. The the point here is that only Christ could pay the price of our redemption, and it was paid in his blood. Uh, one of uh, one commentator, uh, E.F. Harrison, I have some history with E.F. Harrison. Uh, when I was in seminary taking Old Testament introduction, the book we had to read was Harrison. That thick. That thick. Dry as soda crackers <laughs> without anything to drink. And we had to underline footnote and turn the book into the prof. <laughs> I don't know how many I don't know how many times I read the same page four times before I ever got it into my head because I went to sleep. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, this is not so bad. Harrison Harrison talking of, of this uh, subject of redemption, he says, in Christian vocabulary the word redemption is not so common as the word savior. Jesus has saved us from the power and destruction of sin. But even greater significance, however, is the truth that he has purchased us by shedding his precious blood on Calvary. And then he notes, perhaps redeemer should become the more prominent word. That's that's the uh, that's the idea here. As I said, that one wasn't so dry. (laughs) But at any rate, any rate. The point here is, it was only by Jesus' blood that we could be redeemed. That was the price that was paid. And then he's going to go on and he's going to talk in verses 20 and 21 about the revealing of the plan. In verse 20, he he writes, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who uh, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So he says here, first of all, he says, he says, well, verse 20 tells us the theme now still is about redemption, but it's about the revelation of that redemption. And he, he has an interesting way of opening this first verse because he kind of balances the verse. He begins by saying it was before the foundation of the world, and he concludes by saying in these last days. So it covers the whole time period is the, is the idea here. And he says, uh, beginning with, he, Christ, was foreknown, pronoskago, uh, which means to be known beforehand. It was also the, a derivative of this word, Panoskas was used in in verse two, where where it uh, where it told us, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying word of the Spirit, and he was talking about our election. It was it was at God, God made the plan, the whole plan. He made the plan to save you, and he made the plan by how you would be saved all before the foundation of the world. That's what this is telling us. Uh, this, this, this was planned out. Uh, it's a, it's, it's an, it's an, it's an, an interesting occurrence. He says he tra- it, it can be translated in various ways, but it has the, the idea of predestination, the idea that God knows something is, uh, uh, is certain, that it, that it is therefore certain to uh, occur. It's not just some impersonal, mechanical fate idea. Uh, God planned it out. That's that's uh, that's what this is saying here. And he planned it out. 
before anything else happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter in his, uh, in his uh, first sermon, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 22. He's first sermon of the church. He says here, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, same word, uh, you nailed to the cross by the hands of lawless men and put to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. This is saying this was all planned out. It was all planned out. And it was planned out before there was a creation. Foreknowledge was an act of God in eternity past, whereby God the Father determined that his son would, uh, would come as the Savior of mankind, all before man was ever even invented. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, and he says it was before the foundations of the world. John seventeen twenty four Hebrews uh, 4, 3. It, the idea here, we said this in the earlier part, the new covenant was central in the history of the redemption. It was an eternal part of the plan. That's, uh, that's, that's what he's letting us know here. He's always planned this out. He knew where it was going from the very beginning. Uh, that's, that's the idea here. And, he's, and he says, he, he, says uh, he uses the word appeal, uh, appear, which could also be translated uh, revealed. It's a passive verb, and it means God was the agent by which this happened. That, that's that's the uh, that's the idea here. And he says in these last times, now he moves to the last times. The appearing was the first coming. And he goes to the last times and that covers the whole breath from Jesus birth to the second coming. That's that's what he's that's what he's talking about. The whole the whole time period here is what he is what he is talking about when he says uh, when he says these last days. It focuses on the it focuses here on the end of the age of the history of unredeemed man. Acts seventeen thirty through thirty one. Fix the days that he would judge the world. He tells us there. Uh, God has already put that in place as well. He knows exactly the day all of that will happen. It was planned before the foundation of the world. And then he moves on. Or, or, or we, we, should be, we should note that Scripture teaches God's appointment to redeem sin, sinners pl- took place in eternity past before Adam and Eve were ever, ever created. You know, we stop and we think about that. Human logic is, uh, well, we've just went through this whole to-do with COVID. And, of course, uh, it became the race to come up with a vaccine. And, uh, but the vaccine followed the disease. God made the vaccine before the disease. That's, that's what this t- text tells us. God had the cure before the disease ever was. That's, that's, the, that's the picture he's painting here. And that doesn't seem logical uh, in human thinking, uh, because we've got to have a disease before we can cure it. Uh, God knew what was coming, and he planned for it ahead of time. He already had the cure. He had the cure ready. Calvin wrote, or Calvin, said, uh, Calvin made 
well, this kind of introduces what Calvin had to say. But Calvin, uh, Calvin wrote, he said, we should see God's foreknowledge, wisdom and goodness in Christ's election and man's redemption. We should see his, we should see those things, his foreknowledge, his wisdom and his goodness. He wrote it. And here's what he actually wrote. He says, for wherein shines forth more fully the unspeakable goodness of God than uh, than he anticipated our disease by the remedy of his grace and provided a retro uh, uh, a restoration to life before the first man had fallen into death that's that's the that's the picture we have here that's how God handled this and then he moves on to verse 21 and in verse 21 wow I'm going to come up short of time today anyway okay first short on time oh well not short on time to, to come up short I've talked too fast <laughs> I thought this was going to be longer anyway verse 21 who thought uh, who through him are uh, him are believers in, in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God in, in other words he's done all this for your sake in verse 20 he tells us that, that all this was done in the last times, for our sake, uh, who through him believe. That's, that's the idea that he comes leading into verse, verse 21. Uh, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, all of this was put together for you. Uh, that you could be redeemed. That's the, that's the point here. Uh, and this concludes his four-verse doctrinal section. And, he, and he's, focusing, he's focusing on resurrection here. He says, the one who appeared or revealed in verse 20 died a sacrificial substitutionary death, shed his blood for our redemption, verses 18 through 19. And he says, through him we believe in God as he raised him from the dead. Verse 8 tells us, if we go back up to verse 8, he tells us this, and, through, and though you have not seen him, you loved him, and though you... Do not see him now. You believe in him. You rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. And ba- Peter is telling us, uh, <clears throat> God, or Jesus, God uh, himself, has given us the faith so that we may be able to believe. Ephesians 2, 2 8 tells us, tells us exactly that, that the very faith to believe in Jesus was a gift of God. It was a gift of His grace. Our ability to believe is ultimately a gift of His grace. It was through Jesus that we can know the Father. John chapter John chapter one verses. Uh, I didn't mark that one. John chapter one. Either I forgot to mark it or my tag fell out. But anyway, John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him, and he cried out, This is... This was he of whom I said he would come after me and be ahead of me, for he existed before me. For, for of his fullness we have, uh, we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one can see God at any time. Only begotten, uh, the only begotten 
God who is in the bosom of the Father, he explains him. In other words, he's telling us that only through Jesus Christ is God the Father revealed. In John chapter 14, uh, verse 6, he tells us, I am the way, I am the, the truth, I am the life. Those are, those are uh, no one comes to the Father but by me. You understand there's a certain ex- exclusivity to Christianity. There is only one way. Uh, there's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ, and that's what he's pointing to here. Uh, there are not. There used to be a, the Unity Church down on Truxton. It had a sign out front. It said, "One God, many ways. One God, one way." That's the that's the the end of it. Uh, you know, if you're called narrow-minded as a Christian because of that, well, so be it. You are. That's the bottom line. Uh, that's that. That's the bottom line here. There is only one way. There is no other way. It's all through Jesus Christ. And he tells us, he tells us, he goes on to tell us here, he says, we believe in God who raised him from the dead. That's the point. He triumphed over man's great obstacle, death. He was raised from the dead. This is the cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith, that we must believe Jesus was raised from the dead, that he came back to life, and he made way for us to do the same. That's, 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 that's the idea. Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it's impossible for him to be held by its power. Also, Romans four twenty and ten and ten nine, uh, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me <clears throat> will live even if he dies. That's that's uh, that's the point here. The resurrection is the focal point of the Christian faith. And he says he was not only not only raised, but he's glorified. Uh, Hebrews chapter two, verse nine, Philippians two nine as well. Uh, that great passage, Christological passage from from uh, Philippians. <clears throat> and he and he says, as a result of that, as a result of that, you can have your faith and your hope in God. Ultimately, that's what he's telling us here. You have your faith and your hope in God. Implied here is that Jesus' resurrection, uh, that that, that in Jesus' resurrection, the believer assured of resurrection from the dead. In other words, he's telling us he's the guarantee of life eternal. He's the one who guarantees the promises because he came back from the dead. Uh, that's, That's ultimately what it is telling us here. Our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus. First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen. Paul wrote. Paul wrote in chapter fifteen. We're going to pick it up in verse twelve. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we bore witness against God that he raised Jesus from the uh, whom whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ is raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sin. 
the point here that Paul is making is if there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. That's what he's saying here. There is no faith, there is no resurrection, there is no salvation. That's ultimately what he's telling us here in in this passage. The sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus Christ is symbolized in the shedding of his precious blood is... And, and that he was raised from the dead is evidence that that sacrifice was sufficient to save you. That's, 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 the, that's the issue here. And here again, he ties faith and hope together. They're linked throughout this chapter. We talked about this last week, that faith has to do with what God has done in the past, and hope has to do with what God is going to do in the future. And, 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 and in, this, in this passage... He has linked them over and over again in this in these verses. In, cha- in verse three, it says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." And then in verse five, he tells us, "Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time." In, ver- in chapter in verse seven, he's, he says this for that. For that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, receiving as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. And then in verse 13, he says, therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see these these two terms run throughout this entire this entire process. The faith in Jesus Christ brings us hope through the resurrection. That's that's the the idea he's he's wanting us to see the glory Christ now possesses will be our glory at the time of our resurrection. And in the hope that supports our faith, in the, and, and it is the hope that supports our faith in the triune God. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Yeah, and I did get done early, <laughs> which is a rarity for me. But at any rate, any comments or questions this morning? This is a highly doctrinal doctrinal uh, passage. He, he, it's four simple verses. Uh, he explains the plan of salvation. It was, it, was, it was produced prior to the existence of any of the physical world. It was planned carefully back then. And it was carried out in time and space uh, through the coming of Jesus Christ. His first coming, his sacrificial substitutionary death on our, be- our behalf, his resurrection, and it will be filled in his second coming. Uh, our faith is, is based in that, and our hope is based in what is to come because God has said so. Uh, that's the idea here. That's what he wants us to understand. He wants us to understand it is secured. It's secured in Jesus. Uh, that's, uh, uh, that's, the, that's the point that he's driving home in this. You have been redeemed. That's, that's, that's what he's telling us. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you once again for, for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is truth, absolute truth. Uh, we, we can put our whole trust in what you have told us and what you have said. And that, Lord, we can look into this and look into these words that, that you gave us through Peter, and we understand that you planned it from the very beginning. 
Nothing caught you by surprise. This was a total act of the sovereign triune God working to save the creation, the man he created. And we thank you and we praise you for that. And we, I don't even think we have the words to express fully the gratitude we should have for the grace that you provided through Jesus Christ our Lord. We just, uh, we just uh, ask today that that would be our focal point as we move to the communion table a little bit later, where we focus on that sacrifice, what he did on our behalf. And we thank you, Lord, that he is a risen Savior, seated at your right hand, making intercession for us even today. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.